A leading ANC politician told South Africa, all of us, that load shedding is not the end of the world earlier this week. Yeah, yeah, she did that. And hundreds of doctors and nurses and other medical staff have protested both in written form and on the streets against the Department of Health's decision to enact more of what the medical industry is calling devastating budget cuts on the public health care service. And finally, the Palestine men's national football team has a brand new home, a brand new home base from which to play matches. It's Cape Town, Western Cape, South Africa. They played their first match there this weekend, and it is already the center of a political storm. Those are the three big stories from the last seven days that we are covering on News Worth Knowing this Thursday. Welcome to it. This is The Issue with Dan Corder, because we all know that South Africa is a movie. Welcome to The Watch Party. South Africa is wild and overwhelming, and on this show we explain, analyze, and understand the biggest news stories and issues facing this country every single week. Two episodes of The Issue come out every single week on podcast and also in video form on YouTube, and we also release weekly exclusive episodes of interviews and analysis on Patreon. Go find us there. Lastly, if you're new here and enjoy the episode, it would be so wonderful if you clicked subscribe or follow. It makes a huge difference as we develop the show going forward. Right, let's get into it. Okay, let's start at the start. I'm sure your blood is already boiling. Mine has been boiling for two days and it's not just the heat wave in Johannesburg. Earlier this week, Sylvia Lucas, who is the deputy chairperson for the National Council of Provinces, she is an ANC member, she had the gall to stand up in Parliament and tell South Africa and the country's collective jaw dropped. Now, for those of you who are not from the Northern Cape and may not even know who Sylvia Lucas is, she was actually the premier of the Northern Cape around a decade ago, and she did grab some national headlines that you may have missed or may not remembered. She was the one who, in the first 10 weeks of being in office as the Premier of Northern Cape, spent, listen closely, 50,000 rand on fast food on her government credit card. Taxpayer money, tax-funded, in her first 10 weeks. Now, she, through her spokesperson, actually came out and said that that's not a ludicrous thing to do and not a serious waste of government resources. They said she was perfectly within her right, as per the ministerial handbook, to spend money on food, government money on food through her government credit card. But 50,000 rand in 10 weeks on a variety of fast food chains, including Spur and KFC. Now, we've done the maths for you so you can truly gauge, so that you can truly take in how insane and absurd this is. 50,000 rands of fast food in 10 weeks is 1,000 250 KFC's Streetwise 2s. Now, if we're going to take those 10 weeks and include all the weeks, not just the days of the working week, we're going to have 10 weeks, 70 days. If we take the 1,250 Streetwise 2s, which is the value to the amount of money that Sylvia spent in this first 10 weeks, and divide them by the 70 days to work out a daily average, that works out to 17.8 KFC Streetwise 2s per day every day, including the Lord's Day of Rest on a Sunday that Sylvia spent in her first 10 weeks as the Premier of taxpayers' money. 
And Sylvia Streetwise 2 over here insisted that that was a perfectly reasonable, legally permitted, ministerial handbook-blessed expenditure of her government taxpayer-funded credit card in the first two and a half months of her being Premier of the Northern Cape. So that's Sylvia Dunkwings' initial claim to fame or infamy, and this really doesn't feel like a moment where all press coverage is good coverage. And then, earlier this week, Sylvia Zinger had the audacity to stand up in Parliament and belittle the South African public by saying, and she was addressing Cyril Ramaphosa directly, by saying, and remember, Sylvia Twister, with her lovely government paycheck, her delicious house, and almost certainly an inverter at least, if not a full-on generator, she had the gall, the contempt to tell South Africa load shedding isn't the end of the world. Actually, Sylvia Double Crunchburger, load shedding is literally the end of the world for some people. South Africans have died both in and outside of hospitals over the last 10, 15 years because of blackouts, meaning that the power has cut, meaning that essential life support machines have switched off with no alternative energy source and caused people to literally pass away. In May 2023, a three-year-old girl died in Johannesburg after a breathing machine could not function in a hospital due to load shedding. So it is the end of the world for many people, their lives and their families. Sure, Sylvia loaded fries. Good point. It isn't literally the end of the world for most South Africans. Jesus hasn't come yet. But you know what else hasn't arrived? One point, more than 1.2 trillion rand that load shedding has cost the South African economy, which means more than 1.2 trillion rand slushing around in South Africans' pockets, making us a wealthier, more prosperous and growing country. That hasn't arrived yet either. And over the last 15 years, companies have been closing or not expanding, not hiring new workers, cutting some of their workforces because of the toll of load shedding. And not just small companies, the biggest ones too. ShopRite, South Africa's largest retailer, spent 1.3 billion rand on diesel to power generators to lessen the intensity of load shedding over one year ending halfway through 2023. That meant they were spending 3.56 million rand a day on diesel. And that's just compared to 2022 when they were spending 620,000 rand per day. So it's not just over the last 15 years, it's way worse now. Pick and Pay has warned that it expects to make a loss in the first half of 2024, which is partially because of the 396 million rand needed for diesel and the net incremental energy costs of 190 million rand. Now, now I'm pretty sure that if ShopRite wasn't spending more than a billion rand a year on diesel to power generators, there would be more ShopRites, and there would be more people working at ShopRites, and also the cost of goods on sale in ShopRite would probably be lower, because ShopRite is almost certainly offsetting the costs of paying for so much diesel by increasing the prices of their food and other goods on sale. So without load shedding, food would almost certainly be cheaper for every South African going shopping for food anywhere right now. 
And municipalities would also be better at providing all basic essential services if it wasn't for load shedding. Because many municipalities are spending over a billion rand a year on staff overtime on contractors due to the need to repair electrical infrastructure on top of the regular cost budgeted for overtime and service providers because of load shedding. Imagine if your municipality had an extra billion rand in their budget to provide water or to fix the roads or all of the other crucial services that they need to do for us. But no, load shedding is swallowing up all that money. So sure, Sylvia Bucket, congratulations. You've won the Stating the F***ing Obvious Award and at the same time reminded all South Africans of just how much contempt you and your party feel for everyday people across the country. This isn't so much a let them eat cake moment for Sylvia fully loaded box meal. It's more a let them eat cuck moment. And we South Africans will not forget this. As a casual reminder, you can still register to vote on elections.org.za. It's time to vote in 2024 so that politicians actually suffer the consequences of their actions. Yo, I'm angry and hungry now. Hangry. Yo, okay. Let's move on. Hardly a brighter story coming in news worth knowing number two. But listen, sometimes South Africa is a horror movie. So let's deal with the big story that you need to know. More than 80 unemployed doctors, fully qualified, fully trained, fully skilled. More than 80 unemployed doctors marched on the KwaZulu-Natal Public Health Department offices in the last few days, demanding that the government find funding to hire them and to put them to work in the public health care service to help everyday South Africans who need medical attention, and also protesting against planned catastrophic budget cuts that the state, the ANC-led government, is planning to enact on the whole public health care service. Across in the Western Cape, more than 1,200 doctors, nurses, and other medical staff signed a petition also begging the government to reconsider and not enact the latest in a round of devastating budget cuts that have savaged the public health care service. Now, you might be asking yourself, Dan, why on earth would our government heavily subsidize and fund the training of doctors and nurses? Because that's what they do. They spend an enormous amount of money offsetting the frankly, massive costs to training uh, people to become doctors, nurses, and other medical staff. Why would they subsidize all of that training only to slash the budgets for actually hiring and paying staff after they've qualified in a context where most South African public healthcare service clinics and hospitals are dilapidated, decaying, under-resourced, having critical shortages to basic equipment, and critical understaffing too where there's just not enough doctors and nurses to go around, or at least not enough money to pay for them to take on positions, such that doctors and nurses are now commonly getting radically burnt out, overworked, working crippling hours far beyond their contract just to try and keep these medical facilities functioning and trying to help as many South Africans as possible who use public health care. And my answer to you, if you ask me that question, is I have No idea. It makes absolutely no sense. We know that the government has hollowed out, the ANC-led government has hollowed out our public health care system to the point where by no fault of any of the medical professionals working in public health care, many clinics and hospitals are now a shambles and barely holding themselves together. We've done episodes on this. You can go and look them up, particularly the National Health Insurance episode that we did. 
And speaking of national health insurance, that's what makes this situation even more insane. Because the ANC-led government is now championing this plan to do national health insurance where, look, it's a brilliant idea in a country that has a competent, functional government and a competent, functional healthcare service. The basic idea is that NHI would be a fund that would pay for the costs of any medical procedure or consultation or medication needed by any South African. The idea is to remove the barrier to getting access to good healthcare for poor South Africans or at least South Africans who can't afford whatever they need. Now, that's massively expensive to create a fund to pay for the healthcare of all South Africans. And it's almost certain that the government's pushing this through because it's an election year and the ANC is in pretty historically dire straits and they want to show off to their voters that they've brought this radical thing. But like, that's so expensive and will take so much taxpayer money. And it's putting the cart before the horse when the horse is beaten, exhausted, and probably needs SPCA-led medical intervention to keep it going because the horse is our public health care system and right now it is being hollowed out with further budget cuts and yes there are hundreds if not thousands of doctors and nurses who are fully qualified unemployed who want to and are available to help and the government is cutting back on the money to actually hire them and get them to work now surely reasonably the government should use whatever money they can to fund the fixing and saving of our public healthcare system before NHI. Because at the moment, what NHI would do is provide money for South Africans or to cover the cost of South Africans getting public access healthcare. But that would only send them into a system which does not have the capacity to help all the South Africans who are in need. You have to fix the medical system before you can tell South Africans that they can definitely go and get treatment because they won't be able to. All these medical healthcare practices are overrun. So yeah, I don't know. And it just feels like, and it's always the case with the medical industry, and it's always the case with teaching. These are two essential services, healthcare and education, and they're always the ones which the government is treating very poorly, and all of the staff are underpaid, under-supported, under-resourced, and they provide these crucial services which are literally the lifeblood of the country's presence and its future. And over and over again, the government just runs over these two crucial industries. And I feel like at any given moment, we as a wider public need to make as much noise and give as much attention as possible to when these industries are being further hollowed out. So if you can this week, listen to the doctors, go and see their protests, support any kind of memorandum or protest that they do. And our final story on news worth knowing this week is fascinating. So you may have seen that the Palestinian men's football team touched down in Cape Town last week on the invitation of the city of Cape Town and its DA Mayor Jordan Hill Lewis. They've essentially said to the Palestine men's football team who can't play in matches in safely because no one is safe in Gaza in Palestine right now and even in the West Bank. They've told them you can use Cape Town and its stadia as your new home base. And on Saturday... Uh, it seems as though the city of Cape Town struck a deal with Athlone Stadium in Cape Town to pay no fees and host a match basically for free uh, at Athlone Stadium between uh, the Palestine men's football team and a composite team of players from different clubs across the Western Cape. And by all accounts from those who were there, it was a largely positive occasion. There were plenty of people there sending messages of support to the plight of Palestinians, all the tens of thousands of people in Gaza who've been brutally killed by the Israeli Defense Force, and to condemn Israel's actions 
And they were also there to provide support uh, to the Palestine men's national team and to try and make sure that the political agenda to continue to push South Africa to support Palestine stayed strong. It's a real pleasure to be here and to see so many people supporting the people of Palestine. We honor you, we thank you for being here supporting the people of Palestine. I want to thank the president of the Palestinian Football Association who is here with us. But I also want to greet the players from Palestine who come to join us. But speaking of politics, this is a broadly fascinating move by the city of Cape Town, which is large. It's not exactly the same, obviously, but it's the DA majority city of Cape Town to do this in an election year because of the mess that the DA has got itself into with South Africans regarding Israel-Palestine. As you know, the DA has been slammed across South Africa for broadly supporting Israel and turning its eyes away from the plight of Palestinians. The Democratic Alliance even purged one of its significant MPs in, I think it's KwaZulu-Natal, Kachalia, if I remember right, uh, for his pro-Palestinian stance. And many members of the Democratic Alliance, including councillors, absolutely ridiculed and mocked South Africa's case to the ICJ in defense of defenseless and helpless uh, Gazans in Palestine in the Gaza Strip. And this presents a particular problem for the DA in the Western Cape, because remember, they hold majority there with a lot of colored voters, many of whom are part of Cape Town and the Western Cape's colored Muslim community. And Of course, there have been protests, pro-Palestinian protests, anti-Israeli protests across the country. And of course, millions to tens of millions of South Africans across the country exhibited pride and felt very good about South Africa's legal team's superb performance at the ICJ. But the protests have been most intense and the movement of protest around Israel-Palestine has been most intense amongst the very significant Muslim-colored community in Cape Town. And we have seen widespread condemnation of the Democratic Alliance's non-committal, broadly pro-Israeli stance by that very community. And we have in the last few months seen thousands to tens of thousands of colored Muslim people saying in person and online that they will not vote for the DA and slamming them in no uncertain terms. There was a DA counselor, a colored Muslim woman who tried to defend the DA's stance on Israel and she got absolutely wrecked by her very own constituents. And I'm pretty sure, well, let me put my let me put my skeptical hat on, my skeptical beanie, lol. I'm pretty certain that the DA in the Western Cape is sweating about this very significant colored Muslim voting block in Cape Town. I'm pretty certain that they are very nervous that all of these tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people will choose not to vote for them in the upcoming election. And this presents a particular problem for the Democratic Alliance. Like, the, the Western Cape is the only province in the country that is ruled by the DA. It's the only province in the country that's not ruled by the ANC for now. And the DA, a crucial part of their messaging is to hold up Cape Town as a shining example of DA excellence and good governance. And their pitch to the rest of the country is... Vote for us, vote us into power, and we will do for you what we've done for Cape Town. And so if they lose Cape Town or they drop off in popularity radically in Cape Town, that's a serious problem. 
Now, there aren't any realistic political movements that rival them right now who could take power from them in terms of a majority in Cape Town. But there have been new political formations, particularly the Patriotic Alliance led by Gator McKenzie, that have found massive success and popularity in and around Cape Town's colored community. Now, that's a little bit complicated. I'm not saying that Muslim colored voters would just go and vote for the uh, the Patriotic Alliance instead. In fact, it's extremely unlikely that they would do so if the reason why they wouldn't vote for the DA is Israel-Palestine, because the Patriotic Alliance has been one of the loudest pro-Israeli parties in the country, way more than the Democratic Alliance. In fact, the PA has essentially set itself up as a Zionist political movement. And so I don't think it is reasonable to expect Muslim colored voters to vote for them instead of the DA when they don't want to vote for the DA because of the DA's pro-Israel stance. However, in a moment when the DA is seeing significant threats from new political formations to their core voting base, they will be sweating, and I think are sweating, about their Muslim-colored voter base. And so maybe, if I'm going to be skeptical, probably, actually, if I was forced to hedge bets, probably Jordan Hill Lewis as the mayor and Alan Wendy as the premier of the Western Cape Uh, the leaders of the DA in the Western Cape were thinking, what can we do to get back a little goodwill from colored Muslim voters and make them think again? Honestly, I think that this was this move to welcome and uh, present Cape Town and its stadia as a new home base for Palestine's men's football team. I think it is an attempt. I think it is an attempt to differentiate the Western Cape DA from the national DA, the rest of the DA project across the country for that exact voter base. And I know that, again, city of Cape Town is not the same exactly as the DA in Cape Town. So Jordan Hill Lewis could spin it as, no, this is the city of Cape Town, but it's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge that it's really vote for us or consider us, again, the Democratic Alliance because we're different to the rest of the country and we do have the interests of Muslim colored voters at heart. But if that is the ploy, I'm not sure it's working. I think it's been seen through. In fact, if we uh, just take the events that took place on Sunday at that football match between the Western Cape Composite team and the Palestine men's football team, when Jordan Hill Lewis went onto the field, he was roundly booed. And also, according to some reports, there was a quarter, if not a third of the crowd, were ANC supporters in ANC regalia pushing an explicit message that if you care about Palestine, your number one friend and number one pro-Palestinian political party is the African National Congress. Now, you might be thinking, if you've done some research on democracies around the world, but Dan, overwhelmingly, foreign policy does not place high in the order of priorities for voters. No matter what a country's foreign policy, more often than not, it's domestic issues which lead voters to decide who they want to vote for. And you are right about that. I think... I would be surprised if the Israel-Palestine crisis was number one or two on the priority list for voters around much of South Africa. But because of how visceral the coverage of the IDF's awful behavior in Gaza, potentially genocidal behavior in Gaza has been, and that's because of social media, it's because of TikTok, it's because everybody with a phone can now record atrocities taking place and beam them around the world and have them be seen, because of how visceral that coverage has been, maybe more visceral to viewers around the world than any conflict in history, and because of what a nerve it has struck among the colored Muslim community in Cape Town, it may well be that they are just too revolted by the DA's stance on Israel-Palestine, too revolted to go, and remember, it's a very physical act to go into a voting booth and to have your name in front of you and to put your mark next to a political party. It's a serious thing. 
they might be too disgusted to actually go and do that. Now, again, I'm not saying they're going to vote for somebody else. But the threat to the DA might just be that this large voter base, significant voter base in in Cape Town and the Western Cape, may just choose not to vote at all. And that would seriously harm the DA's chances of having a dominant majority in Cape Town and beyond. So that's news worth knowing for this Thursday, the 15th of February. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we appreciate your time and attention. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new deep cut video and audio essay for you as we do every Monday and back next Thursday with another review of the biggest and most consequential news stories or interesting ones in South Africa from the seven days leading up to it. While you're here, go check out Patreon. We have an amazing new interview with South Africa's probably foremost elections expert, Wayne Sisman, who studies all the data, knows about all the wards, all the municipalities, all the by-elections and all the polls. And he had a lot of fascinating things to say about new trends that he has seen across South Africa, particularly involving Jacob Zuma's Umkontowe Sizwe party. And he is there across on Patreon, exclusive interview for our subscribers. Remember, it costs less than 100 rand a month to support the show. And you get one expert interview a week with fascinating people talking about all the knowledge and insights that they have about the biggest issues facing South Africa. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful weekend. 